This call is being recorded. Ernie, are we live? We are live. Welcome back. Um, that was an interesting thing. To yeah. So for those to, in case this in case we put this on the podcast, last time we cut off abruptly because your phone overheated, shut yeah. down, and you had to place it in the freezer, freezer. for it to recover. Um, and then, and then I, so the Uber call comes in and I'm work, I'm going, okay, well, let me answer the call. <clears throat> and <clears throat> for 10 seconds, I can't, I can't hear or make any connection. And then the whole phone froze. It no longer counted time. It no longer allowed me to interact with it. I couldn't activate any phone feature. I couldn't do anything. And then it just shut down. And I thought, well, maybe it's maybe because I keep switching between different earbuds, it doesn't it doesn't like me doing that. Does this happen to anyone else you ever talked to? No, Ernie. I I need you to know how special you are. <laughs> <laughs> My Does not have friends with. Yeah. What would they say? My, what would they say to my that? My friends would call this spiritual warfare. Yeah. Oh, yes. Right. Right. <laughs> I, um, I am. I am. I am yet to jump on that particular battleground. Um, the if topics at hand. If you have a third third time, we will definitely have to do it. <laughs> okay. Okay. I promise on the third time, I'll give it more serious consideration on the effects of spiritual warfare on technological devices. <laughs> or at least communication <laughs> with Ernie. <laughs> <laughs> we can, we can personalize this. It's Ernie's fault. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I should warn you, um, my what? reputation at MIT was um, the debate amongst my friends was, whether Ernie actually caused crises to happen to everyone he acted with or merely precipitated them. Oh, that is too funny. We are having deja vu right here. <laughs> <laughs> Could you ask yourself that same question? <laughs> now that you have deeply affected my phone twice. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Hey, so, man. That's your while we're on the subject, let's discuss of crises. Let's discuss your career. Yeah. What? It, yeah. You, so you got you had me thinking since five forty-five a.m. this morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For the record, I just finished my nap, so that's how I cope with the fact that I tend to wake up around four thirty or five thirty every morning. I don't know why I think it should be functioning on six hours of sleep, but that is the uh, six hours of nighttime sleep. So I make it up during the day. Yeah. Somewhere in there, you're going to get the hours of sleep you need. Yeah. My CPAP says I'm getting enough sleep. So that's something. Anyway, since 545 this morning, what have you been pondering? Um, so you're... Your your messages, you know, prompted me to think through ideas that I have written on post-it notes and put on a um, uh, information board that's next to my desk. They are the projects that I am currently working on, projects to get around to doing. 
And some of those projects, I call them Steve projects. So they're, they're about me. They're not a client in particular. It's about what do I do with my, with my career? What are some of the fun things I need to do now? Creating my, you know, redesigning my website, putting up the blog that I mentioned to you, which is a personal expression of a bunch of ideas that come to me, you know, two, three, four times a week. And the career search is also one of those dimensions because it has a financial impact on, on my family. It's something that I can do to try to correct the financial deficit that we are in every month. So it is a way to empower myself to not fall into despair and to take, uh, take ownership for my role and my responsibility with my career. Mm -hmm. So the details were what you were asking about. Well, how are you going to do that? When are you going to do that? You know, who are you going to reach? And you, those questions could be asked of any, any of those ideas that I had put out there. And right. just a few minutes ago, Gloria asked me the same questions. She took a break from her work, came and had lunch. I joined her at the table and she said, um, she said, well, how is, how are you going to stand in higher education for your expertise in distance learning if no one knows about you? She, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. She said, where can you go, write the ideas that you have? tell people what you've been learning, share your reflections, and draw an audience to yourself. Huh. So, so she's asking your questions. She didn't even see your messages this morning. I, I told her you had written me. I have never met or, or talked to your wife, but I feel like we, she and I know each other. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <clears throat> absolutely. She feels the same. Yeah. And just, you know, uh, we already broached this. Our... Uh, our Holy Spirit, my charismatic friends call that uh, reading each other, reading your mail. Yeah. Is that when you, you meet yeah. a figure who, like, have you been reading my mail? Because they seem to know yeah. all the weird, intimate conversations you've been having either at home or inside your head. Exactly. It is like that, very much. So I haven't done so the the real answer to the to the question beyond the, the fun humor of seeing these interconnections of Gloria and Ernie and they're thinking about this is stands me in the intersection of the two thoughts. And the it's just an issue of when when will I stop procrastinating about it and set aside the time to do something about it? Right. And, and just for, uh, and I think the real question is, what is it? Or is that actually the hard part? Um, well, hmm, is it the hard part? No, I don't think it what, what, is what the is, hard what is, part. What is, what is, so what is the it, as best you currently understand it? It would be, it's the three-pronged approach. Um, I need to push forward in landing a, so I need to, I need to push forward on getting a job. Why? At the same time, because um, I need the income. Okay. I don't know how to make what I'm doing any better. And the the need is immediate. I've been at this for four years. Sorry, whose needs? Our family needs for income. Okay. All right. So it's an honest answer. I don't know if that's the full answer, but keep going. 
Um, this is for me the, the same as how many times am I going to hit my head on this brick wall before I look for a solution other than trying to make the consulting work. Okay. I can't, I can't keep waiting for a breakthrough and I don't know how to make the breakthrough happen. Okay. So what can I do? I can look for a job that would be helpful okay. to me and my family and keep me positively focused. It helps me focus on my skills, my attributes. It helps me look at what the market is doing. It helps me understand that I really do have value to bring. So the exercise in itself is valuable. Okay. Uh, so, and then that, that creates a better market presence for me, even as a consultant, because I, I have to direct people to, to look at my consulting work to see what value that I, that I actually bring. Mm-hmm you know, potential, potential employers. Okay. So that's, so that's one of the it's. Okay. The, um, the other it is in reference to how do I establish my expertise that I have been developing for two years in distance learning, which is built upon a 15 year history of not wanting to ever be a distance learning instructor. <laughs> and you you understand perfectly well the irony of that statement and yet it yes. creates the most compelling story i am a reluctant yes. distance learning educator yes and my conversion and my transformation is based upon new technology tools that open up the interpersonal connections that i knew were lost 15 years ago you could not do anything like what we were doing 15 years ago in terms of interpersonal uh, communications. Interesting. And that, that turned my opinion. It, it gave me hope. And so I took a few contracts that forced me to study the field again, to use the technology tools, and then to convince faculty to follow my lead. That was, that's, okay. and I still have that, I still have that contract um, okay. in, in a, and I've learned, wow, I've learned a lot. Plus I've taught a few classes online using the very skills that I have now learned and proposed are good ones. I said, oh, I got a lot to share to people. Plus my story of not wanting to be a distance learning educator. Gee, that might sound like most of faculty right now who are being forced to teach online. Mm -hmm. So my own personal story I said, okay, there's a lot of compelling information there. How do I share that? Where do I go? Do I share it through through different LinkedIn groups as as little as posts, parts and pieces of my ideas seeded into that into that realm um, steadily over time. Um, do I create a uh, another blog as part of my professional website that espouses my ideas on distance learning and what I'm learning through the process and technology tools and pedagogical practices that can work well in this environment? Yeah, mm -hmm. th those are all possibilities. You mm -hmm. ask the question, well, who's your target audience? And I go, well, that's a deeper level of thinking. That I go, I don't know. Why? I'm, I'm said, yeah, connected okay. so this to is Interesting. Um, okay, anyway, that's the second it. Yeah, um, I can't. I, I can't. Was there a third one? Um, let's see. Job, job. I don't know. Probably those two. Those 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 two things are probably the most important ones. Right, and of, of you what see the two are connected. Doing. Yes, they're they're connected. Is that what you asked? Uh, yes. Right. There's so, a 
so here's the, 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 the short maxim, right? It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter who you know. It's who knows what you know that ends up mattering. I follow you, yes. Right? And so the um, uh, one thing that I have noticed um, actually, let me. Uh, this, this is actually possibly, I mean, it's not necessarily a big deal, but I think it's a fairly profound one. Um, the, the, the folly of technologists is we love to build things and we hate to sell things. Yes. Right. And so that's that one of the things I personally would... repented of most recently. Um, well, not the most recent thing, but certainly relatively recently is the desire to build and feel like I've done the hard work and then get impatient when sales is difficult. Yes. And so I part would of agree. the way I have, and I, the, the analogous thing that I have seen among educators, my daughter has new pants and so now we're allowed to go for bicycle rides. Is that? No. Oh, to go for bicycle pants. Okay. You just came to show your pants to the dog. Okay. May I, may I continue my phone call? Okay. Thank you. Uh, the best thing about uh, COVID times is that children interrupting meetings is now the norm rather than the exception. Yes. Yes, it was pretty sweet. I could hear the little voice. <laughs> <laughs> See, we have some legendary U uh, uh, YouTubes of her when I was doing my startup. Anyway, um, was, oh, yeah. The, legend, the equivalent thing I have seen among educators is let us create content and resources. And then they're surprised when no one is eager to A, consume them, or B, pay for them. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think this is part of our training, that we intrinsically value these things because you were always in a context, either A, where they were important, or B, where everyone pretended they were important even when they were not. Mm-hmm. Right? Keep you're going. Cool. You're given an assignment and you are praised for building the thing, whether or yes. not it actually <clears throat> solved a real problem. And right. We, we were making prototypes. Like, you were, yeah, maybe prototypes or whatever, but you, you were honing your craft. Let's, let's, let's use a positive frame, frame on it, okay? It is good to hone your craft. Um, but one of my um, longer running angst of which I have many, as you know, um, was this idea of a liberal arts education. And the reason that, that this word rubbed me the wrong way is because I was always presented as contrast to a technical education. Oh, okay. Right? And, and yeah. the image that I conjured in my mind is of the Roman aristocrats, which is where the word liberal arts came from, uh, or maybe the practical arts, right? where they are learning art and poetry and literature and rhetoric so they can argue in the courts uh, with the, uh, and in the public square with their enemies. And then the practical arts were what the slaves did in order to make their masters look good. And when I oh. look at my technical engineering background, I think about, especially during the eras of the Cold War uh, and so forth, how much of my technical background was really about learn how to build the cool things that your masters want and don't ask who it's used for or why it's used or whether it's worth building. And that's an overly cynical way of looking at it, 
but it's not necessarily mm-hmm. an accurate one. And yeah, one I of the things I, I, I've been following is this idea of what is a liberal tech education? What is the thing where you take responsibility for the ethics and the art and the philosophy of the things we build? And that, I suspect, is one of the things that drew me to entrepreneurship. Because right? as an entrepreneur, you are responsible for the whole stack. You must build it. You must market it. You must sell mm. it. You must manage mm. it. You must support it. And this idea of a vertically integrated or full stack solution is exciting to me personally because it forces you to exercise muscles that you did not know exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. One of the ways I've been dealing with COVID is by I have this two and a half hour time gift that I no longer spend driving around uh, oh, Silicon right. Valley, uh, going to work, dropping off the kids, filling gas, etc. And so I've been spending it exercising and playing with my kids. And my kid talked me into doing this lady called Jillian Michaels. Have you heard of her? She is known as the, the world's most sadistic personal trainer. Uh, at least she uh, revels yeah. in that from her time on yeah. uh, uh, The Biggest Loser. And she was even memorialized yeah. in the Schoolhouse Rock musical that we saw. Anyway, um, and what's funny is I've been doing her, I did her regularly for 30 days, and I felt like I was in pretty good shape. But then I discovered if I do a slightly different workout by a slightly different trainer, I get extreme pain in places I did not know existed. Because so Jillian didn't work those do, out. Yes, exactly. And what I've discovered is, is that just because you're really good at something, does not mean you actually, if that is not the thing that must be done, uh, you're a complete novice at it. And it will hurt badly in ways you had forgotten how it, was, how it could hurt like that. Yeah. And most people when get to that mm. point, they stop because that is painful and uncomfortable. And the whole point of having gone through training and having mastery declared to you is that you don't have to feel like an idiotic pain, pain-ridden <laughs> noob anymore. <laughs> Good point. Good point. And so nowadays, it's like, if my workout does not make me hurt differently or hurt more. Uh, there's a Muhammad Ali quote. I think I shared, and I'm not sure if you were on there for that episode. Someone was there. Asked him, How many sit-ups does he do? And he says, I don't know. I only count when it starts hurting. Yes. Right. Beautiful. And, okay. So, um, trying to ramble less. Your phone doesn't overheat and you don't have to throw it in the freezer again. <laughs> I'm, I'm in the shade of the garage now. What is the painful thing that you are most likely avoiding? Oh, uh, is it a question for me to answer? You don't have to answer it, but you must wrestle with it. Uh, yeah, I wrestle with it with, with it every day when I look at the you know the list of the list of to dos. Um, it's it's the marketing and selling of of my qualifications. Um, well, and that the whole package of that is finding the person to send the information to and then sending it to them and then having to do the follow-up afterwards. But there's a whole load of, of work that happens in just finding the person to send it to. If you do it right. one by one, then you know it's a very slow and laborious process. Right. And, but so let, but let, me, uh, let me peel that back one layer. Right. So the real question is, who will buy what you can sell? 
Um, is that is that this, a way of frame, is, is that a reasonable way of framing yeah. it? No, that that is and, exactly the way of, of framing it. Okay, and there's two parts to that. Okay, well, so let's, let's discuss sales, right? Because I'm hardly an expert on it, but at least I've been studying it for a while. As I said, I'm not an expert on anything, but I am a student of certain things, and I've tried to become a student of sales uh, in the last couple of years. And so, someone in order to buy something, someone has to a have pain that they need to, that they want to fill. Okay, yeah. it can be intrinsic, extrinsic, whatever. Okay. Secondly, they have to have an awareness of pain. Three, they have to have a willingness to do something about it. And yeah. four, they have to have ability to pay. Uh, ability to pay. Pay. Yes. Okay. And then fifth there has to be a cost-effective way for you to reach them. Yes. Okay. The, um, so let's get back to the idea of a job. Um, what is your current best hypothesis about the kind of person who would hire you? Would be an, a higher education leader at the executive level who mm -hmm. wants a respected faculty coach and department leader, so to lead the, lead the teams of those who provide the consulting and coaching services to faculty who has innovative ideas to create breakthroughs in teaching and learning online or even in person since the pedagogical principles are still the same, but requires a mind, a mind shift from whatever mindset the faculty member has. Right. Um, that, let me just, uh, okay, let me just ask some really naive question. Is there anyone in the university today who owns that problem? Who owns that problem? Yes. My friend and colleague that I work for at Ryder University has this type of a position. The degree okay. to which she is respected within her college or university is limited given its small size in New Jersey. Um, so well, she so is said, one. Well, so, slow down. You said it's a small university. How yes. is that, if anything, I would think that would make it easier for her to have respect and prestige within her university. No, they have, they have a fixed mindset because they are a small university and they have been such for a very long time. Do you know any university <clears throat> that is not that? Stanford University, which is now so big and so amorphous how, that they don't pay. How, what, is, what is their student enrollment and how has it changed over the last 50 years? Uh, the enrollment at Stanford hasn't really changed. Yeah, that's the funny thing, is that most they, schools have a fixed mindset when it comes to their student body and instruction. Yes. So, again, and what's the difference between your friend's school and Stanford? It's, it's merely, <laughs> in terms of fixed mindsets, um, there are populations of exactly the same fixed mindset. 
At Stanford, the population of teachers willing to try something new is larger because there are more faculty members there and there are more departments that do the kind of thing that I want whoa, 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 to do. Whoa, 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 sorry, okay. So the, having more faculty members is not necessarily a guarantee of not having a fixed mindset. But I will grant you that Stanford has um, a unusual faculty body in that they tend to rotate into with academia with out of academia and in an industry far more than your typical faculty um, yeah good and also guys the, 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 uh, yeah and then again of course they also have like udemy and things like that that they uh, stanford's probably on the other extreme where yeah. they have enough expertise in this area that they are unlikely it would be a hard sell to convince them that you are more capable than the people they already have access to. As, a, as I have found out through yeah, so, three applications and a personal <laughs> conversation with a friend on the inside. Yes. Okay, so let's, let me start with the naive hypothesis that most schools prior to COVID either yeah. A, did not take distance learning seriously, or yeah. B, were already invested in a particular way of doing distance learning. Um, yeah, I would say that I would say yes, that's right. Okay, that was my problem. Okay, now the second question is Has anything actually changed internally in the mindset of the university since COVID hit? Not yet. They panicked and rushed mm -hmm. to the most immediate solutions that they could find to yes. solve the problem of moving their faculty online. Right. Now, it's, in a, yeah, sorry, keep going. It's the second wave. It's what do they do this summer in preparation for the fall, given, given the lead that the CSUs have taken, which is they're not inviting students to come back in the fall, therefore they're inviting faculty to continue teaching online. And right. not all faculty were teaching this semester, but many more may, new ones may be teaching in the fall. So, and there's more time to think about a more thoughtful strategy to approach the transition and the transformation of a traditional faculty member to an online faculty member. And right. that's what I think is. Right. right. So, you know, when this hit and like everything moved online, I had a talk with a business development officer at our local high school, actually a Christian yeah. high school, uh, which I will not mention by name. And he and I had a great chat and I said, you know, um, I've been asking myself why I'm spending $3,000 a month for a mediocre online education where I could get a really top quality one for basically free. <laughs> wow. Know, that's a great question. I've been wondering that myself. Wow. <laughs> a really good time. And I said, well, yes. the is community and value. Right? Yes. We're mm -hmm. part of this project. Right. We've been part of this for a long time. And it's like, I would love, and I said, you know, and I would even put in $100 on my own money if the school would create a resilience fund and we say, you know, wow. hey, the world is changing. Um, and, you know, we don't know how long this is going to last, but the smart bet is that this will probably happen again. Maybe six sure. months, maybe six years. We don't know, but it seems like it should happen again. So I would love to invest in your school, figuring out how to become more resilient and how to build the systems that would allow us to deliver great content when we don't have access to physical places. And, you know, maybe even scale out your outreach to the rest of the world. 
right? Why, why, yes. why, why can't you offer, like, if you can figure out how to do this for the you know, few hundred students you currently have online, my gosh, why can't you do this for the thousands of people around the world who don't have access to something like this? It's be a huge There's, opportunity, right? You have to mention cl- the clearly. Whole 10% of your student body, which is international students, who pays most of the money, most of, the, most of your profit margin, right? And he goes, that's a great idea. Let me tell my boss. Nothing. Mm-hmm. I literally offered to give a development officer money to do something. And just watching what has happened since, talking to some of our, uh, to, to some people I know in higher education, I have not yet seen anyone that is saying, this is a great opportunity to push forward and um, change the way our faculty teach. Have you? They're, no, they're fools. Right, so let me, I, let me okay, <laughs> keep going. Your turn to rant. Um, so there, there is a private Christian comprehensive education system nearby with whom I have contacts. I reached out directly and said, how can I be helpful to you? And they said, well, that's an interesting question. How would you charge us? I said, I would love to hear what the project is and then um, offer you a reasonable rate after I learn more about what your needs are and customize a solution for you. We'll get back to you, he said, and it never happens. So, yeah, and he, have, he's an IT director. Yes. And I bet he, uh, I, I'd be willing to weigh money. It's like, IT's been, you know, for all, uh, I have to say, it's a great time to be in IT because people need you like they've never needed you before. Oh, totally. Uh, yes. On the other hand, it does not necessarily change the status of IT. No, it doesn't. And, it, uh, the, and, and this is where the, you remember my rant last time about the Benedictine model of education. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was interested in your use of the word fools. Um, I define a fool similar to Proverbs as one who denies reality. Yes, I would agree. And uh, I was t- uh, my friend in higher education, I was saying that, you know, how long are parents going to trust higher education to prepare our children for the future when they appear unable to prepare themselves for the present? Wow. Great way to put that. And so when our wise men have become fools, um, I think there's a line maybe from Star Wars, who is more a fool, the fool or the one who follows him? Yes. It's a great statement. Mm-hmm. So it occurs to me that maybe the wisest course of action right now might not be trying to get a fool to hire you. You're pretty funny, Ernie. I get it. <laughs> so that's the bad news. But here's the good news. Uh, a while ago, you asked me uh, to pray for your career situation. Yeah. You know, I didn't, uh, and I'll tell you why, because I have this really bizarre policy 
that I don't pray for things God has already told me to work on. So I go through this okay. rhythm of like, okay, if I'm supposed to work on something, I work on it. Um, and, and then if I get, I, so you've heard the saying, some people say, you know, pray with all you pray with one hand, work with the other hand. I found that exhausting. So what I do is I pray until I know what to work on. And then I work until I know what to pray for. Oh, and okay. so, okay. So, um, the most important thing outside of my day job, uh, and my family for me right now is your career. Oh, that's, I believe pretty you, are the most, uh, you are the most strategic, what is, is in the words of the argument, you're the most important, most interesting person in the universe. Um, and the prophecy, the prophecy was made up, but it's about you. It's about all of us, but right now it's about you. If you haven't watched the Lego movie yet, I highly, highly encourage it. I consider it the most profound analysis of society and the human condition since Augustine's City of God. Augustine, who was the godfather of the Benedictine model uh, of modern yes. Okay? Um, and so I've been patterning my life after the Lego movie for the last eight years. Um, so we can deal with my idiosyncratic theology later, but the point is... <laughs> The point is, uh, Steve, the shortest route to saving higher education is to become higher education. And so the good news is, hmm. um, so trying to get a job in a world where most colleges are in denial about the fact that they're going to lose 20% of their income next year. Um, yeah. Most colleges are um, by design incentivize faculty. Uh, so most universities are designed to allow faculty to get away with doing only what they are comfortable doing. Yes. And you're going to have most of the most colleges that I have seen in universities, I think. CSU is extraordinary in this regard. They're in denial about what's going to happen this fall. A friend of mine was saying to me that a bunch of university presidents were petitioning the federal government for a liability coverage to exclude coverage to uh, uh, exclude them from liability if they bring students back in the fall and they have an outbreak of COVID. Oh my goodness! You know, uh, oh, okay, that's an interesting exercise to go through. Just the fact that I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Since it's such a crazy world. I don't even want to guess. But um, you could, I, I can imagine university presidents saying, I would rather have an outbreak of COVID on campus than not start school in the fall. Uh, yeah, I can believe they would say that and believe that's a good thing, too. Yes. Um, and because what other choice do they have? And this is the extraordinary mm -hmm, reason. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and this is the thing that, you know, I always feel like I get in trouble for saying things that we all say we believe. I am dead to Jesus. Like, I have no right to exist intrinsically. Mm. And mm. if I must die for the world to be saved, that is what I signed up for. Uh, yeah. I would be like Jesus, right? Um, this is not a universally held opinion. 
<laughs> uh, you're right, Ernie. <laughs> this is why even those who cycle, profess Christ are not willing to make that final sacrifice. Uh, Richard Wombrandt's quote uh, always haunts me. Uh, there are two types of Christians: those who believe in God, and those who, those those who sincerely believe in God, and those who sincerely believe that they believe in God. And oh, the difference. Boy is time the decisive action. Yes. So I believe in you, Stephen, because you sincerely believe in doing right by students. Yeah. Mm. And you are surrounded by people who sincerely believe that they sincerely believe in doing what is right for students. Good point. True. Yes. And our, the institutions and structures of higher education over for more than a thousand years have been built around this Faustian bargain that if you devote mm. yourself utterly to the institution, the institution will allow you to follow the desires of your heart. Yes, yes. I hadn't and thought about it as a dance with the devil, but yeah, it, it's... Every, Every business model involves a deal with the devil. I realized this after, you know, spending two years as a management consultant. Um, funny enough, there's only one deal with the devil worth making. And I saw it in the movie Hercules, among other things. And that is, you get to destroy my body, and I get to steal your soul. Hmm. And that is my life as an entrepreneur for the last six years. Wow. Okay. So, but I'd be willing to bet. Um, now, to be fair, I'm betting your career rather than mine. So take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> you're also betting against me. So that's the thing. Table takes are off. <laughs> right? is that in the next six months, no, first of all, no one less than the university president can make a mandate like this stick. There's lots of people who see the problem, would like to do it, but unless the president says, we must commit to doing the next semester fully online, and we must marshal our resources to deliver the best possible online experience. That's what it would take for them to hire someone like you. Someone someone would say, uh, this is reality, we have to do this, and we are going to invest in this, because they will hear the same thing I have heard, is like, what if it's not that bad? I don't yeah, want to waste point. the effort. Yes. yes. Right? Because well, they are terrified are they... of the thought of wasting the effort. Yes. They think they can because... do it internally. Well, they think they can, so they can get by, we'll just have to sit by for a few more months, It'll all work out. Yes, right? that's how the emergency <laughs> came about. The thing is, it, right, yeah, the, yeah, the uh, what's insanity doing the same thing over again, expecting a different result. And the and this always puzzles me, right? Because the cost from my, you know, I, I describe myself as at the extreme end of the autistic spectrum in that uh, I can view horrific things for the most part from a, an emotional distance. Hmm. Interesting. Is that, right? Uh, is that 
it would seem like the cost of preparation is ridiculously low and the cost of being wrong on this is ridiculously high. It would be rational that we say, you know, let's just spend 5%, 10% of our time and money preparing for the worst case scenario. That seems like a rational, plausible, reasonable thing to do, right? I would and, think so. And the evidence is, is that of the people who had access to information, 99.5% of them did nothing. Hmm. Um, okay. Including myself, right? Someone asked me about COVID-19. I said, yeah, it'll probably be maybe two or three things worse, uh, but we'll probably overreact and it'll be fine. Well, I, I did say we'll either overreact and it won't be a big deal, or we won't react at all and it'll be horrible. Uh, so I, not probably get right, but you know, my assumption was that this is not a big deal. I didn't take any preventive action. I didn't buy toilet paper. My wife, bless her heart, buys toilet paper by in bulk, so we've not had a problem with that. Um, and you know, she bought toilet paper last week. I said, you know, normally I complain about the closet filling of toilet paper, but I must repent of that and acknowledge that my wife's irrational buying behaviors may actually be supernaturally inspired and keep my mouth shut. Yes. Yes. Good move, Ernie. Okay. But, but the reality is that the, uh, but, you know, hardly anybody did anything, right? Um, and only people on the fringes did. I mean, we're very lucky in Silicon Valley that executives and tech companies did. Although, to be fair, uh, the reason I think Silicon Valley did better than New York is A, because we're closer to China, and B, because we can handle remote work with relatively low loss of productivity. Mm -hmm. um, whereas in New York, it's much more extreme measures. And, you know, the Upton Sinclair quote, right? Uh, you can't get a man to understand something when a salary depends on him not understanding it. Right. But I think that's kind of uh, on yeah. the flip side, though. Silicon Valley has also been pushing for this world of virtualization and digitalization, which is why we've invested in business systems and technological systems that the world is now relying upon. Yes. Um, but the, real, the thing I realized is that the reason people are in denial about this and not taking the rational, prudent course of action is that, for lack of a better word, it violates the terms of their deal with the devil. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So, um, 15 minutes left before I have to stop or your phone explodes, whichever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to take bets on which way that's going to be given our past experience. Um, Very thoughtful. So, I agree with you that freelancing is not a great uh, sustainable future. Um, but I would counter that trying to get a job in higher education is equally problematic for the exact same reason. All the people that you're trying to sell to are A, busy, B, uh, rather quickly going broke, uh, and C, uh, structurally incentivized to be in denial. Um, those last two points are so critically accurate. It's, it's like arrows. It's like firing arrows at the at the target. So, <clears throat> yes, your 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 analysis of the people I'm trying to reach are the very same people I'm trying to transform and change, but they're not the ones who want to be changed. They're being forced into a change. Yes, and uh, what is it uh, Einstein said? There are only two things infinite: uh, the universe and human stupidity. 
and I'm not sure about the universe. <laughs> that guy was brilliant in so many ways that he wasn't recognized for being brilliant in. Yeah. But the thing about Einstein, I've been thinking about him in his patent office as I've been working as a mid-level IT engineer for the last six years, or four years, rather, is that um, Einstein's genius. He wasn't necessarily the smartest person, but he was able to unlearn so much of what he had grown up with. That's yeah. why he's able to do this at the patent office, not at a university. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But he was fortunate enough to find um, success later. Although one often wonders if because he was so, le- so celebrated and successful, he was never able to reconcile himself to quantum mechanics. Um, but that's another story. The, <laughs> okay, let me end on a note of hope. So in between getting a job and being a freelancer, there's a third category. Do you happen to know What's what that? that is? No, I don't. It is called... Ah, this is where learning is useful. It's called entrepreneurship. You may have heard me talk about <laughs> it before. <laughs> and the difference between a freelancer and an entrepreneur is a freelancer makes money by their work. An entrepreneur, and a freelancer, everything you do, even if you have leverage, even if you have contractors working for you, your name is on the thing, you are basically selling yourself, your body, is your greatest asset in your mind, right? An entrepreneur builds a system that makes money even while he or she sleeps. Uh, How does that relate to intellectual property? There's many different ways. Intellectual property can be useful. There's, I mean, there's four basic types of freelancers that Seth Godin talks about. There's the... Um, there's an asset, like intellectual property that you own, which could be a shovel or a patent or a yeah. piece of software. There is the market maker, who's this is the intermediary of trust between two communities and helps buyers and suppliers connect with each other. Uh, there's the um, merchant who travels across distances, whether physical or psychological, to bring goods that are low value to one area to high value in another area. Um, there's okay. a few other kinds. Like, okay, but so there's different kinds of but there's different ways of being an entrepreneur. But the whole thing of an entrepreneur is that you build something, is that you're building something, which, uh, if you are successful, will have value independent of you, that you could then sell to someone and retire if you chose to do so, because the system you have built, the assets of customers and trust and business processes oh. and employee training and everything else, yes. has intrinsic value even if you're not there. Yes, this is what Zig Ziglar did with his career. Yes, uh, among many other things. Uh, And and Gary Vaynerchuk is is a new phenomena in the world of marketing oneself and success as Mm -hmm. as an object to purchase. So he got 30 bucks out of me for, you know, a Udemy course that I've Mm -hmm. only watched halfway through because he keeps saying the same stuff and it's just him the whole time talking. Yeah. The guy makes money. Because he talks. Yes. Um, you can't do that. But that's okay. Um, the, uh, you, 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 uh, you, you're the one who told me this. You don't get money. You should not get paid to talk. You should get money uh, because people are doing things that change their lives because yeah. they see and watch you. Right? Um, so the, 
so uh, every systemic failure has a systemic opportunity, right? And positive outlook. We talked about the so like the the fact of the matter is is most colleges and universities are in a deep state of denial. Yeah. Right. And Good point. Uh, Good I, have, point. I, I have three nephews and nieces graduating in the high school class of 2020. Oh. Uh, the one I talked to had been promised by her school that they will be open in the fall. Huh. I said, I you know, mm. you might want to at least consider the possibility that they're wrong. Yeah. It could never occur yeah. to her. That right. Because she's trusting. Oh, my gosh. So I'd be willing to bet money that there's going to be a lot of really heartbroken freshmen in August and September. Yes. All right? We already yes. know there's a lot of disillusioned freshmen right now. So, Stephen, there are um, most of the, the, the more the more incentive someone has to avoid reality, the less the worse of a prospect they are for you to sell to. Good point. On the other hand, if you have a parent who's planning to fork out fifty to a hundred thousand dollars a year, or even twenty, you know, let's say uh, let's, get, let's say at least ten percent of their annual income, right? I'm with you. I think that's a plausible number. They have a financial incentive to say, you know, maybe I won't put that money down. <laughs> right? And at least some freshmen are going to be saying, you know, and a lot of students, what's the number? 20% of students, freshmen are already thinking about doing a gap year. And right. the rest are probably in denial because they assume that their school is going to be open in the fall and they're going to get the wonderful college experience they've been promised that they endured. Uh, 13 years of a, um, in my negative moments, I'll call a colonially imposed status game. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, for the brass ring at the end. Um, yes. And some of them are saying, uh, I think I'll pass. Right? And so mm -hmm. there is a lot of people with money burning a hole in their pocket. Like we are literally burning. I mean, we have, like we spend typically $1,000 a summer on camp. I cannot find yes. anyone to take my money. Yes. Yeah. They're closing. They're not opening. They're going They're canceling. Bankrupt. I mean, oh, the school no. I mentioned before, it was heartbreaking. They announced on, like, Monday that this was our summer camp schedule. And the following Monday, they said, oh, sorry, we have to cancel everything. It's like, yes. how could you do this? And I'm like, well, the reason I do this is because they always have and the internal reality that they were dealing with said this was the right thing to do. Yes. They were capturing it up. So, Stephen, as much as I love you, I care less about what you need than about what the world needs from you. Interesting. And the world needs something extraordinary from you, and they probably need it um, by the time they get back from Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, it's a little soon. Yeah. It's a little soon to be yeah. that creative yeah. and innovative. Oh, Stephen, have you learned nothing from years as a consultant? The most creative thing in the world is a deadline. <laughs> and you don't, and a few you, you, don't to, you, you don't need to do this like at scale. 
So the goal is the vision I have for you, and I got to wrap this up. And again, this is wrong, but I don't know where it's wrong. That's what you have to figure out. Okay. Okay. Fire but you away. see the reality. But you see the reality that I see, more or less. Yes. Yes. Right. Okay. In yes. this reality, what uh, I see you doing in September is having a cohort of 100 to 150 people virtually online around the world, English speaking, I'll make it easy on you, um, who are willing to pay somewhere on the order of $500 to $1,000 a month uh, for something like, let's call it a year up mm -hmm. rather than a year you, off, because year on you, is already taken by another friend of mine. Uh, year up is actually taken too. I know that program. Uh, okay. But anyway, um, I get I get the idea. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's a program of um, let's call it full spectrum discipleship. How okay. to make people not just walk like Jesus, but teach them all the other core skills they need to actually live that out in the real world. Okay. So it doesn't have academic content focus. It has life learning focus. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Like I said, when you're doing a gap year, there is no rules. There's no curriculum. There's no expectations that you have to be able to get college credit, which is going to become, you know, in the next five years, uh, a joke, um, if not sooner, right? It is that, okay, if I had a year to do anything I wanted, what should I want? Okay. The way you work it backwards is, you, uh, and let's, let's, for some place, let's reason you do it in six-week chunks like we've been doing for our great reset cycle. Yes, um, yes, right. And, and if you're really good, you can build it. Uh, people can jump in later uh, as they get over their stages of grief and face reality. But if you can hmm. do it up hmm. front and get people to sign up for the whole year, God bless you, go for it. The, um, but let's say by Labor Day, at least, you have something in place uh, for 100 people. Working backwards uh, in six-week chunks, that means by July 4th, you have something that a group of 10 could do. Mm -hmm. Okay. And working backwards from there is that you find, uh, I find when you're doing exponential growth, you supposed to work in powers of 10. So by May 29th, you find one person who'd be willing to spend the next six weeks being trained by you in this thing with the promise that if this works out, they would become your first hire to help you proctor the next 10. Oh, interesting. Yes, I understand the model. So I will leave you with that thought while I go and play Foursquare with my children. And <laughs> I hope I am not so, up at 4.30 in the morning tomorrow, but if I am, we will chat then. <laughs> so you get to go have fun and I get to wrestle with these heavyweight ideas you just dropped on me. Yep. So I've been wrestling with them. I, I have paid my dues, as have you. Uh, uh, this is great. Ernie, you're a great coach. Thanks for your ideas, man. Thank you. And your phone did not explode this time, so I consider myself not this time. Yes. Not this time. I right? kept good care of it. Enjoy right. your time with your friends, and thank you for your care, brother. Appreciate it. I love you, and as anyone will tell you, that is a double-edged sword. <laughs> <laughs> I will I will receive it as a gift. Thank However you. it that's comes. why that's one of the reasons why 
I am so proud of you, and you are my uh, my most immediate joy. Thank you, my friend. Sincerely right. appreciate it. Have a wonderful time with your children. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.